Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. OMTG Taps, I'm Bro Hoof Joe. Uh, and I'm Stephen Marshall. And uh, we've got a great episode for you this week. Uh, we're going to uh, go over our New Year's resolutions from last year. Uh, the very first episode of this show with Stephen on the show, um, we did uh, New Year's resolutions Um for for 2014, uh, kind of things we wanted to work on as Magic players, uh, maybe as people, but mostly as Magic players, uh, because we are already perfect people. So, um, you know, we were, we were to talk about the things that we wanted to do this year and see if we, uh, you know, stuck to those things. I know we want to talk about things we want to, we would like to improve uh, for 2015. Uh, then we're going to discuss some of the Fate Reforged spoilers that just seem to be barreling in over the past week or so. Super exciting time of year. Just didn't even expect it. It just was like, we got Ugin on Christmas Day, and it was like, oh, we got like half the set apparently. Like, it's just, mm -hmm. I don't know, they've just flown. So uh, we got a lot, some spoilers to talk about. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, we're going to go over our top albums of 2014. Uh, me and Steven each have a top 10, and we totally cheated and added a couple honorable mentions uh, at the end. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, New, Year's Re New Year's resolutions. I have to try so hard not to say New Year's revolution because that was like a wrestling pay-per-view. It's really hard for me to not say that. Um, uh, Steven. You had a yes. couple, and uh, why don't you tell me about them again? I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I will gladly <laughs> talk about the New Year's resolutions that I laid out in the first episode that I was on. Great. Uh, so the first one was to expand my horizons as a as a constructed player, and I guess potentially as a limited player, and that was to play a control deck. I had previously been just all aggro all the time, Maybe branching out into some more aggressive mid-range decks, but uh, generally just aggro decks. So I said that I was going to take a pure control deck to at least one sanctioned event, and I did that by taking uh, the blue-white uh, Ivan Flock no-win condition control deck that won the Pro Tour to an FNM. Was it called and... Go Flock Yourself, or was it it? What was it called? Uh, uh, insert a walk of flock of flame joke here. I don't know. Flock of seagulls. Mm, that's lazy. That'd be if it if it had if it was um squadron hawk or something. Oh, that'd be great, but no. <laughs> I I hope he goes around like telling like like after he wins matches like hey go flock yourself <laughs> or no 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 you just got flocked. <laughs> 
And then for some reason he has like a little business card where he's like wearing sunglasses and he just slides it across the table. So the, the deck played by that person that won the Pro Tour. Yes. Uh, it, it, was, it was basically as pure of a, you know, dirtily controlled deck as you can get. Um, the only win conditions were really the four uh, Jace Architect of Thoughts and the one Elixir of Immortality. And then I guess, obviously, uh, Sphinx's Revelation, but that doesn't actually win you the game uh, on the spot. So <laughs> it was... Elixir of Immortality. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I remember say... I, I played a mirror match. I tested it once online. <sighs> I played the mirror match, and I cast Jace. Uh, I ultimated the Jace, and I got another of my Jaces, and I took his Elixir of Immortality. So that... And I obviously can't crack it, because then it goes into his graveyard. So I had to just leave my his Elixir of Immortality just out there. And then eventually hope to get to mine, and uh, win that way. It was... something. That's really ridiculous that's got muta vaults but you can't tutor that up with jace so i wanted to go get a land it's like and... one of the, it's one of my least favorite decks i think of all time <laughs> it's so boring to me oh same here i was running against him every single round of the the top eight <laughs> and, and not just because his the quarterfinals was against a burn deck but hmm. anyway uh so I played that, and even though I thought I was playing at a reasonable pace, uh, I went to time uh, three out of the four rounds, but still managed to 4-0. And, you know, one-time show, successfully played a control deck. It's not something I'm going to look to repeat in the future. I could see myself playing a control deck that has more win conditions, kind of like what um, uh, Shaheen Sorani uh, will typically play, where it actually has, like, just anything that actually wins the game and <laughs> doesn't just like prolong, like not basically the, the blue white deck that I played was every single card was designed to not lose the game. And you just keep not losing the game until your opponent has lost it somehow, uh, which is not my idea of fun, but you know, I wanted to try it and I successfully did so. And it, you know, it helped me kind of expand my horizons as as a limited player at least because i haven't yet applied it to any further constructed decks i haven't played a control deck since then but uh we we talked about that in, in the last i don't know four now in a row podcasts that i've been playing a lot of cube and uh, i've actually been drafting a lot of uh just kind of mid-rangey and even control decks or even control combo decks in the cube uh like just blue white rafts and and moats and planeswalkers and um yeah, it's it's I've, I've actually managed to enjoy myself drafting blue and white cards that aren't just aggressive creatures, and uh, I'm sure it'll it's it's only helped my game going forward, um, and hopefully <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be able to win a control deck is right to play for a tournament. I'll maybe be able to bite <laughs> that bullet at some point. <laughs> no guarantees on that, but because um, I still want to, you know, I still play Magic to have fun. Right, right. And th there are control decks that are fun to play. Like, there really are. Like, you just happen to sign up to play in a sanctioned tournament with the most dirtily, the uh, least, like, captivating control deck maybe ever. Um, you know, there and, are control decks that run, like, you know, creatures and, and like, things that see, win. I could see myself playing that deck again if I were in a really bad mood and just wanted to troll everyone. And, and make everyone have a not good time because I'm not having a good time. And sometimes that's just what you want to do. But It is. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Or, well, no, I didn't enjoy that. But I've been, I've since enjoyed drafting non-aggressive archetypes and could see myself playing non-aggressive archetypes in the future. So that was a benefit, and I'm, I'm glad I did it. Sure, sure. Um, my other uh, New Year's magic resolution was to be less of a deck hipster, and this one's a little tougher to grade, and I also mm-hmm. don't feel like I did as well on that one. Hmm. Um, I can't be too mad. I, I did I did good at one of mine, too. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, so basically the idea was, and this is kind of like a character... I'm going to say trait instead of flaw on my part as a magic player. I don't believe player. in flaws. <laughs> Everyone has character traits that are unique. We exactly. are all snowflakes. Uh, I just can't ever seem to bring myself to play like a, like a really well-known archetype if it's one of the most played, even if it's the best decision for a given tournament. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know which one I valued more highly, uh, which was either winning or or doing reasonably well with an off-the-wall archetype, or especially if it's one that I, like, I, I came up with. I, I wanted to reorient my goals when I go to a major tournament towards the winning part of it and not the uh, patting myself on the back for playing something off the wall that no one is expecting part of it. Yep. Even though, you know, both both are fun. Winning yeah. is definitely fun. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, when you are... When you come with a deck that no one's expecting and you're playing in a tournament, one of the greatest things is when your opponent uh, will <laughs> – you, you you win – say you win game one, your opponent like should be sideboarding and instead just starts shuffling back up. They're like, I don't got anything in my sideboard against this. I have no idea what's going on. And they just start shuffling up. Like That's one of the greatest feelings when you come with a deck that isn't expected. Like To have someone full on not expect it. Is like is super rewarding. Oh, I agree, mm-hmm. and that's that's how I justify playing these lesser known decks. Is yeah. like, well, it gives me an edge in that mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they don't know how to sideboard against it. They haven't yeah. play tested against it, so it's actually increasing my expected win percentage, even if it's not as uh, clearly powerful as the best deck in the room. Um, so in terms of how I did on this goal, I would I would give myself a uh, maybe a C plus. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's, you know, the events that I actually stuck with the program and played a deck that was actually good and actually something that I had tested and knew and could play well, um, I, I, I put up reasonably good results. Um, now, I played uh, Burn for a good part of the uh, standard season, and uh, I think it, it was in May of last of, uh, yeah, 2014, that was this year. Um, I made top, uh, top eight estates with that. And, yeah. uh, that was a couple weeks after playing burn at uh, a PTQ and basically missing top eight because of like one missed Chandra's Phoenix trigger. <laughs> um, so it was a deck I knew how to play exceedingly well, and it was actually a good choice for the metagame, which was dominated by mono black at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was also one that I enjoyed playing, which made it a lot easier to make that decision, <laughs> to make the right decision. Right. So, uh, especially with all three of those lined up, then uh, no problem. Definitely had definitely had success with the deck. Um, uh, after that, there were some relapses. Uh, even while Burn was still a good choice, I, uh... <laughs> I... I was only in the room for, like, for, I'm sure, only part of the time that you were considering running Riddle of Lightning and Enter the Infinite in a deck together. And I can only imagine how much more time you spent talking about that or thinking about that 
when mm-hmm. I wasn't in the room. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I might have built the deck online, uh, and um, <laughs> it had 70 cards in it, because that's how you fit multiple combos into one deck. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the... <laughs> You actually did that. That's so funny. I thought I was being smart. Oh I was I was God. playing like the oh who was it? There was like a combo deck, but they they didn't have enough room to run a reasonable land base, but also include the Valakut combo in it. It was like Valakut Zoo or something. Yeah. And so they're just running like a sixty-five or sixty-seven card deck, <laughs> and it it was actually doing really well, and it was the right choice to make to actually fit everything in the deck, <sighs> and it was like but still have enough like you know mountains to actually run that combo. Right. And so I thought I was doing something. So I was not. No, I was just I don't know what I was doing. Um, I played I played some Naya Agro and that didn't do well, um, even though it did well at sub, uh, subsequent uh, Pro Tour. But it just was not a deck that I had tested enough. I audibled from burn because like, I don't know why. I think I, I think I took like one match where someone had a um, trading post sideboard and just extrapolated that out to, oh, well, I guess you can't play burn anymore. And just moved on. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was an issue. Um, um, let me think what else. I guess uh, <laughs> week one I, of, of, I guess, con standard, I played a Mardu Warriors deck that I had kind of brewed up. Um, although I don't feel like there's like a wrong answer in terms of like a deck you bring to week one. At least that's what yeah. I'm going to tell myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually did reasonably well. I finished X and 3. Uh, some of that being uh, due to antics the previous night and i was not in the best condition for the, the early rounds that was the uh that was where i cast thought season didn't take anything but did take the two damage wrote down their entire hand and then just passed turn <laughs> um so that was interesting uh i actually might want to revisit that deck i'm not really sure um i think I also, it's decent i mean like raider's spoils is a really good card I wasn't. I, I think I ran one of those, maybe yeah. one or two. I don't know if that. I don't know if more than one or two of those is is even correct. But uh, I yeah, think, I think it's a great card, and I, I mean, the warriors are surprisingly, uh, surprisingly powerful, especially when you get into like Chief of the Edge and like the uh, whatever the raid one is. And you know, it's funny. I've been looking at uh, when I've been building cube, I've been picking out because I kind of want to put like a warriors deck into the cube, but I kind of want it to be green. Which is interesting. So like, I, there I was, are a lot of green warriors. There are a lot of decent green warriors. Yeah, like uh, with Air of the Wilds is a green warrior. He is. Maybe you, could, maybe you could jam some like Abzan warriors or something. That's yeah, maybe. Not a bad plan, actually. I'm like, I'm like, hmm. But anyway, so so so, so I guess I'm would be what we would call an enabler because mm-hmm. I start spouting off ideas like, Oh this. yeah. You're just like, Oh yeah. Why don't you try that? That's not a bad idea. Right <laughs> you're like, you're right. I mean, that's, Alec was the one who was like, why don't you just run more than 60 cards? You're like, that's the best idea ever. Oh, right. oh that's genius. So outside the box, <laughs> it's like outside the deck box. Cause the, the, the deck size won't actually fit in the box. That's right. That's um, right. <laughs> Half the deck is outside of the box. Uh, I, I also actually played um, Jeskai Tokens, I think, week three of that standard, uh, like the week after the Cons Pro Tour, um, when it was still a little crazy and managed to go like X2 at a super IQ. But then, <laughs> of course, once it became popular, now I don't play it at all, um, which is – that's a loss. That's a loss for trying not to be a deck hip, uh, hipster there because um, I'm like, oh, I like this deck before. It was cool, man. Um, GP San Antonio, I stuck with Mardu, which is something I actually played a bunch of. 
uh, Mardu midrange, and even though I wasn't really sure if it was the best like meta game call, it seemed reasonable, and it was the one I could play the best and knew the best. Yeah. And uh, you know, I did okay. I went six two and one, uh, which you know that doesn't get you day two, but it's a reasonable finish. Um, and you know, if I was like a little up to speed on 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 you know catching slow play and nipping that in the bud, you know, maybe I make day two. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, whenever I pick a, a decent deck that's not some off-the-wall thing I haven't tested for more than a day or two and haven't played in paper, that's another thing. Uh, I think for, like, any GP or PTQ, I need to, like, test the deck, like, actually in paper at least once <laughs> before playing it at a big tournament. Um, that's another kind of pitfall uh, where I just, yeah, I just would jam games on Moto until <laughs> one of these wacky decks will eventually get a good run. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it must be good. <laughs> this one went, this one went eight two. Uh, that's like, I don't know. That's like going to the craps table and, and just like, um, I don't know, changing your hat every t- every every ten rolls or something like that <laughs> until you're like, ah, oh, this hat. This is the hat that works. This is the lucky hat. This, this is the hat that generates the wins for me. Um, instead of looking at it objectively. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So that's <laughs> must that's, be the hat. <laughs> so I, I had to do a little bit less of that. That's uh, <laughs> that, that that's that was part of it. Um, oh, but basically, yeah. Whenever like there was a deck that I tested that I knew that was you know especially if it was established or is one that like actually put up results or put up results especially for me that I'd played in paper that I knew how to play uh, and I actually stuck with that. It was a reasonable choice, even if it was less fun than. The thing is, is like it's only fun for like the five minutes before the tournament when you're thinking about how sweet it's going to be to catch everyone off guard. Right. And then it's, it's like it's like fun for like the one or two rounds you're able to string together with it, and then it's a lot less fun. <laughs> and then, and then playing in the real rounds, like the the EXO like round three, round four brackets, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh no, real decks. Oh no, yeah, real then, players. Then the regret and self-loathing sets in. <laughs> you're like, why didn't I just play burn or? whatever deck right. that was the reasonable choice to make that actually would have maximized my probability of winning the tournament. So right. um, I get an incomplete grade. I know I gave myself a C, but that's incomplete. Sure. Sure. And you did that. You did that, um, you know, at times and um, I think it's safe to say that the times that you stuck to that one were the times where you put in the best results. Oh, easily. No yeah. question. Yeah, so something to think about. Um, I'll go over mine, uh, uh, my review real quick, and then we can talk about uh, what our resolutions for 2015 are. Um, so uh, my first one was to be uh, more trusting of people. So uh, this time last year, um, for whatever reason, I was being super insular uh is that the right word? It is. It is. Uh, just really, like, like keeping to myself in terms of, like, other players around me and not really trusting, uh, you know, my other the other players around me to either play fair or, um, you know, to, you know, with my cards or in trades or whatever. I just wasn't – I was just feeling really, like, paranoid about a lot of that stuff. Um, and I think some of that comes from, you know – bigger picture issues um, that it'll take, you know, <laughs> therapy and, and medicine to, to solve. And I'm, I'm being honest, but you're, um, you're, you're just being a little Kim Jong-un. <laughs> be careful. We do not need to get our show hacked. Um, and uh, I dare him. Uh, <laughs> that was a dare. 
That was a dare, Kim Jong-un. You heard it. Uh, so anyway, I think that um, I have an incomplete on this one as well. Um, so, uh, you know, personally, like locally within like on the store level, I think that it's definitely happened in terms of being trusting of people. Um, in this past year, uh, we created a team for Common Ground Games, uh, Team CGG. Um, you know, uh, we, we picked the team uh, and I, I included a couple people that either we didn't know well or even hardly knew at all. Um, and, and I like that, you know, we did have some people who were, you know, obvious choices about, I would say about half the initial group was already in my mind when I said, I want to start a team, you know, it was like with these X people and then fill in the gaps, you know? Um, but we did that, you know, and, and, uh, we haven't really, in terms of like the team goals, uh, we haven't really had the success that I had hoped that we'd have so far, um, but we've got a good system in place. We've got a good network of, uh, talented players in place, uh, so we can put together a group to head over to some events, uh, you know, manage to get down all the way down to Austin, uh, this year for a PTQ, which I think is the furthest I've traveled for a PTQ, um, in San Antonio, uh, for the GP, which I think is the furthest I've traveled for a GP, um, even though that was just a gang of two, um, it was still it was still a lot of fun, and um, you know we've we've got a we've got a team, and it's cool. Um, and, I, and and you know one of the greatest things is I've felt like, or I feel like I've been able to get closer to some of the people that play at our shop uh, that I haven't uh, known so well, and you know these are people, these are people or were to me considered people that play at our shop that now I consider friends. So I think that's a really cool thing, you know? Um, and so I feel like I've done that. I feel like I've kind of opened up at our shop and I feel like I've kind of let people in to the circle and let people in, like, you know, invested my, my, myself in people that I didn't already know well. So, and I, and I, and I, and I don't feel bad about that. I'm glad I've done that. Um, I think that's been a really successful aspect of, uh, of this goal. Um, now on the other hand, uh, competitively, like in, in tournaments, I feel like my mistrust of people has been vindicated, uh, by the, uh, by the rampant cheating that's been uncovered this year at the highest levels of competitive magic. Um, I'm serious, man. Like, I mean, we've had a lot of major, major scandals happen. Um, yeah, but I mean, bad stuff's always going to happen. And so that's yeah. like any, anyone that's like exceedingly paranoid is going to justify it by it. It's like, see, I told you whenever something inevitably like negative happens. Sure, like, sure. But I mean, but we, I don't think, I don't know if we've seen it this blatantly at such high levels though, you know, at least I mean like in, in the coverage age, it's it's amazing to me that these things still happen, you know. Um, it's crazy to me that somebody is going to like stack someone's deck on camera, you know, or or at the World Cup, you know, like the Magic World Cup to just blatantly cheat. I mean, that is the highest level. I mean, of course, that is the level where cheating has the greatest reward, you know. So it may, so I can understand why someone would do it, but I just can't believe the nerve of people to do it. And if it's happening at that level, you know, uh, 
having it seeing it happen at a gpt or at like an scg open or like a tcg player more importantly like at a tcg player event where you don't have the video coverage you know it almost feels like the wild west you know where where you're gonna have people just just cheating left and right and now i know it's not that widespread um or i hope it's not that widespread but at the same time i think that what it's done is that it has been a wake-up call for a lot of people i think it's been a wake-up call for people to be more vigilant when we're playing um to pay attention to your opponent you better believe the three rounds i actually played in gp san antonio i was as i was shuffling my opponent's deck i was staring dead eye at my opponent to make sure he was staring dead eyes back at me like i'm not even playing like i was just like looking at my opponent the whole time I was shuffling their deck. Like, you better be looking right at me and not looking down. Like, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's helped me be a lot more vigilant. Um, because we have to be, you know, the, the moment you trust a stranger or the moment you trust a cheat or you, or you, um, and I'm not going to say a stranger. That's a bit far, but the <laughs> moment, the moment you trust or you express or, or indicate trust of a cheater is the moment they're going to cheat. You know, you don't have to, you don't, there's, there's a fine line between call, you know, calling everyone a cheater and, and just making sure your opponent isn't cheating. Sure. And I, I mean, and I you could express, we, you can express trust, but just not, don't let your guard down. That's all. Well, yeah, well, you don't, I don't even think expressing trust is a good idea. Well, I mean, I, you, you shouldn't, like, for some reason present your deck and be like, I trust you, sir. Uh, but, like, just, you know, uh, you don't have to act in, like, a, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you just don't let, let your guard down. One thing that I've that I've learned is to never let other people's um, actions dictate your own. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody acts casual and trusting of you, don't feel like that's an opening to do the same for them. Because someone's just having a real chill conversation, just cuts your deck, still shuffle their deck. It doesn't matter if it looks like you don't trust them as much as they trust you. Maybe mm-hmm. they have already stacked their deck and they just want you to cut it. You know, and it's one of those things where I, I mean, I see someone will cut my deck and I'll just, you know, pick up their deck and shuffle, 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 shuffle. And, and you know, I'm not even going to act like it's a big deal. I'm not going to act like I'm going to shuffle yours because I don't trust you. You know, but I'm going to shuffle their deck. And most of the time, a player who picks up your deck and cuts it, when you pick up their deck and shuffle it, they will also pick up your deck again and shuffle it, which is good. You want them to do that. You don't want them to just cut your deck. Well, yeah, and I'm lazy. It gets in some extra shuffles. But that's the thing. Yeah, well, that's true, too. I know that's exactly right. Um, You can never be too randomized. And uh, but that's the thing is you shouldn't be lazy. You should always cut your opponent's deck. Anyway, I'm kind of going on this a little bit for a while. But like the thing is, like my, my point I want to make is that we should ha- we should really learn from this. Um, you know, first of all, I think that we've learned how to better protect ourselves from cheaters, uh, thanks to some of the cheating methods that have been uncovered through this set of scandals that have rocked the magic community. <laughs> oh my God. Um, we, we have to really learn to not be afraid of calling a judge whenever something seems unusual or if our opponents our opponents make an obvious play mistake that affects the outcome of the game. And we shouldn't feel guilty 
about the potential consequences for our opponents, like especially at the competitive level, because it's your responsibility just as much as it's your opponent's responsibility to play tight and play correctly. That's why it's called competitive magic. You know, and, and that's just the thing is if you're going to play competitively, you've got to hold yourself to a higher standard and you have to hold your opponents to a higher standard. So I think that's something that that we can really take from all that. So, you know, I, I feel like with that one, it's an incomplete because, um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely feel like in, in the community level, um, I'm, I'm, you know, right back in there and, and I and I feel really good and I'm having a lot more fun and I feel like I'm a lot more loose and and just you know a little more trusting of of the players in my local store um now as, ter- as far as competitively not so much um but i'm i'm walking the line you know because i didn't i did not once call a judge in those three rounds but i was very vigilant you know at the gp like i was very vigilant even though i didn't call a judge so um my other goal um my other New Year's resolution was to be more open-minded about modern. Now, with this one, this one's been a rousing success, which is awesome. Huge success. Um, I now own Modern Affinity, and I own most of the key pieces for Modern Burn. Um, I, you know, I put I put Affinity's completely together. Burn, I believe I have everything to build it. I just haven't physically built it yet. Um, I love the format. I really do. Um, I'm uh, actually uh, starting next year. I'm going to be uh, switching because I'm not going to go to FNM anymore. Instead, uh, switched over to uh, going to the Wednesday Night Magic events. So next year I'll be going probably every week to, to Magic so I can play Standard or Modern in alternating weeks, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Um I'm especially looking forward to that after the bannings um, <laughs> because uh, it looks like, I mean, it's pretty much guaranteed. You would say that Jessica said it's treasure cruise. They're both going to get the ax. Uh, maybe not both. You really don't think so? Uh, maybe just treasure cruise. Um, so anyway, uh, be more open about modern. Totally great success. Um, very nice. I like, uh, so, uh, 2015, just around the bend. Actually, we're recording this on December 30th. This will be posted in 2015. So, a couple things for me. I've got two things. Just want to run over them real quick. Sure. Um, first, I want to focus more during playtesting. Um, end of 2013, uh, playing-wise, I feel like I had some success. I put up, like, the last, you know, the last quarter, like, Pharaoh's Standard. Um, I had, I had some success at the end of the year, uh, better, more success, I think in, in competitive than I'd ever had. And I really feel like I rested on my laurels last, uh, this year. Um, I, I didn't have as much or any success in 2014. Um, doesn't mean I didn't have a great time. Uh, but you know, my focus was a disaster during play testing. Um, I just feel like my play suffered greatly because of it. Just you know, I was just so focused on, you know, having fun and enjoying the time with everyone uh, that I just wasn't able to do much serious testing. Um, so now, in 2015, um, if I'm going to go to a play testing session, I want to have my deck 100% built 
before I arrive, unless there's like cards that I'm trading for when I get there, um, you know, and, and I've already got those trades arranged, basically. Um, and then I just want to also have an exact plan as to which decks I'd like to test against. Um, and then rather than waiting for other players in our group uh, to be ready to play me with those decks, because, um, you know, we'll get together and it'll be eight of us. And let's say like three people will have Abzan and then like they're playing three other people. If I want to test against Abzan, I got to wait for one of them to finish. Um, and then rather than, you know, if the one person who's free has like Jeskai combo and I don't want to test against that, I'm just, I'm going to test against it because I don't want to sit there not playing. You just wind up playing against the decks that are available or just free and not the decks you want to actually test. Um, so I'm going to also, if I go to play test next year, um, I'm going to have proxy versions of all the decks I want to test against already ready to play against at the start of the session. Uh, so, you know, if the person who's playing Jeskai is ready to play, I want to test against Abzan mid-range, I will have a, a version of Abzan mid-range proxied up and ready to test against that I can hand them and go, hey, play this, I want to play against that, you know? Because, um, you know, time is money. Uh, it's, 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 it's cliche because it's true. Um, less time spent testing equals less money won in events and more money wasted attending events I've not sufficiently prepared for. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, it kind of ties into the first one, and it's I want to play more Magic for fun. Um, and I love, I love, love, love playing Magic. Um, it's why we do this show. It's why we make these trips. It's why we do all this stuff, you know? Yeah, the prizes are cool, the potential for winning, the potential for the glory, the potential for the, you know, the travel is fun. Going to these like, different cities is a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, we've been going to these events and the goal is to win. And um, the problem with, you know, with that is the fact that I love playing the game. Uh, and I, so as a result, I lose a lot of focus when we're testing because, you know, I genuinely genuinely enjoy the communal experience of playing magic with my friends. Uh, so when we get together to, to test for competitive, I just almost want to hang out as much as I want to play. You know, it's all about like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Watch this freaking video. Check this out. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and so that all gets caught up. I try to cram all of that stuff into the playtesting session, which doesn't work out. Um, so I think that, like, setting some time aside, um, at least, like, once a month um, to allow for, like, casual play will get that out of my system so then when it's time for us to do the real work and get the testing in, we can properly focus on the task at hand. You should make an um, EDH deck. <laughs> well, you know, I'm working on my cube. Uh, so, uh, so I am going to prioritize finishing that in the coming months. Um, and then I'm going to make sure we get together at least on occasion, uh, just to play. So it's not, um, you know, so it's not just this, you know, wasting the testing time, um, you know, trying to do stupid fun stuff. And no, to answer your question, I will not be playing commander. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I spent an hour 
putting together an EDH deck I haven't played yet. I think I just like building decks. I don't think I actually like the idea of playing EDH. Oh, yeah, no, building the decks is a lot of fun. I mean, I still I still would love to build a commander deck. I just have no interest in playing. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I built the deck, and I was like, oh, okay, that was fun. <laughs> I haven't, like, actually gone through and tried to, like, <laughs> go play it, even though it's the most... It's the easiest game to, like, find a game for, like, people yeah. willing to play it. Um, so I've got a couple uh, 2015 hot-off-the-press uh, resolutions myself. Nice. Um, so I guess the first one, and it's related to preparation, and it's related to limited preparation, um, although it's a little less relevant now that there aren't, like, set you know, like limited sealed seasons or whatever. Yeah, that's a bummer. But I, I found myself like in terms of like like sealed or limited formats, I'll play a ton of it like the first few weeks that it's legal. Yeah. And then I just I don't know, I just get I just lose focus. I stop playing it. Like I, I could focus on testing constructed, um, standard or modern. Uh no problem for the duration of the season and I that's why I, t- I feel like I tend to do a little bit better there. Yeah. Um but I just do not with with limited, I usually like like now I'm like oh now that the spoilers for Fate Reforged are coming out I'm like really psyched to play draft and sealed with with those new cards right and right. so <laughs> I run out of steam like you know a couple months before <laughs> I should be and I want to actually try to like if there's a limited season or a limited term uh, tournament that I want to prepare for I would like to actually focus on keeping current with that format for like the duration of (laughs) that set being legal and actually trying to get to the same level in limited that as I do in constructed. Although sadly, when I look at my ratings on moto, I'm always higher on limited than I am on constructed. That's just because I test really stupid decks constructed. (laughs) Um, And for, for limited, like you're just, well, you have to play the best deck that your cards give you. Um, Right. Like I, I played, um, I played a, I played a little bit of since I've been, if you could tell, uh, I've tried to, you have some strategic muting, but I'm, I'm a little under the weather currently, so yeah, I was at home, uh, and I also had some time off, and now I had some sick days, so uh, I played a bit of uh, sealed online, um, and I played one of the preliminary PTQs, and I went four and one just because I had a, you know, pretty good deck actually, like that that mostly carried the way, um, and did okay in the finals of the, this, so it's like kind of like the the paper system where there's a PPTQ, like they have several of them during the week. And then there's like a finals on Sunday. Uh, and you just have to like four, four and one or five and oh, the preliminary uh, sealed PTQ to play in the finals. So played in the finals and there's just a lot of really close games. I started off two and oh, and then dropped two um, in game three where just very small mistakes uh, cost me the game where I feel like if I was a little bit more familiar with the format, I would have found the correct or ideal uh, line of play that could have actually won me the game there. So uh, it's pretty late in the cons, I guess PTQ season, and I just ha- I haven't played I hadn't played sealed before that since maybe a few weeks after the release, and that's not uh, where I should be if I want to actually do well in limited tournaments. So right. um, I'd like to be able to maintain at least for one set's lifetime. Uh, maintain and like kind of like a, a level of proficiency in a sealed slash draft format. 
like all the way until the next set comes out. So uh-huh. I gotta I gotta pick one and just stick with it. Yeah. Um, although <laughs> I've been like perusing these PPTQs like in person. Uh, like all the listings for like when they come up and what format they are, and it's like ninety percent standard. So I don't, really I don't even, is. I don't know if that's going to be necessary. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's very, it's it's kind of annoying because, you know, for someone who really did love the seasons, almost for, um, you know, the like forcing me to switch gears, and and not you know, stay in a format that maybe I'm a little tired of, you know, I feel like we're going to pretty much have to be jamming competitive standard year round. Yeah. So in terms of standard, I have two, two goals. So I'll have a total of three goals for resolutions or whatever for 2015. Um, And it kind of sticks to what I had set for myself in 2014. um, But it's a little more specific and a little less broad than just don't be a deck hipster. Um, for standard, I want to stick to one deck for an entire month, which seems absurd that that should be like a, a <laughs> like a test of endurance for me. But it actually is. Um, yeah, I was actually going back and looking at and even when I played Burn, when I was playing FNM regularly or playing some sort of in-person tournament, like, you know, at least once a week, if not twice a week, there was not a single set of two weeks where I played the same deck. So I'd, I'd like to just get to a deck that I think is good, that's a decent metagame choice, that is like you know reasonably powerful, and that would reward me for being familiar with it and something that I enjoy. Pick it, stick with it for a month. You know, obviously tweak tweak the numbers in the sideboard in the main deck for for shifts in the in the metagame and stuff like that. Right. But just play that deck for a month and see where that gets me. Right, one of those things where you're not going to get like. You're playing chicken with the format, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you know what I mean? And you're just not going to swerve. Because, yeah, no, I know exactly. Like, you're like, oh, no, the format's changing. I need to change, too. Like, you know, it's not just you. You know, everybody, I think, has that moment. Yeah. Um, I feel like for a lot of the tournaments, like, the level of, like, competition that we're playing in, like, just familiarity with your deck is reward far greater than, like, a lot of metagame knowledge or... Uh, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, or given where my skill level is, I think, or my ability to obtain proficiency with a deck w- in a given t- amount of time, because I just don't have as much time as I'd like to actually uh, test constructed. So a lot of the times I've found where I've done the best with the deck is just where, like, well, I didn't really have time to test anything else. I know this deck. Oh, I guess I'll play that, um, like I did with Mardu at the GP, or I did with um, just Burn several times, where it's like, ah, uh, default. Like, I don't think it's a good choice right now, but... I'll just play this burn deck. And it actually wasn't from a metagame perspective from what like what I played and what was in the top eight, but I still did well with it because I knew the deck. So right. I'd like to recreate that, force myself to recreate that, and also <laughs> just get proficient with it by forcing myself to just play that deck, nothing else, for one month. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and that really, more than just um, getting you, like, better results for one, and also your testing winds up, uh, you know, being exponentially more valuable. Oh, yeah. Because because rather than spe- – because we don't have a lot of time. We both work. You know what I mean? We've got other stuff going on when we're not working. We're not just, like, working, getting off work, going to play Magic all night. We just don't have that time. We don't have that luxury. So, you know, the one time a week you get together to play cards, when you're testing the same deck you tested last week – 
you already come into the testing session with lots and lots of knowledge that you didn't have to like learn in that moment. You know, like you've yeah. already got past experiences that you can tack on to your testing session and it kind of extends your session over several weeks. You know, I think that that's really important. I think that's something that neither one of us, I mean, I've done it a little bit more, but even me, um, you know, I tend to switch things up or, or go in a different direction than like maybe what is best or, you know, I don't know. Uh, so wait, I think last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Oh, okay, yeah, so I just had one more, and it's kind of tied to that, uh, tied to preparation. I guess they all kind of are tied tangentially to, to, to preparation, mm-hmm. and that is for – and I don't know if I'm going to do this every time. At least for a GP, absolutely, but for any kind of like uh, the goal, the ideal, for any PPTQ or higher tournament in terms of competitiveness uh, in a constructed format, have a sideboard guide written out before I show up to the tournament. So right. like have like what I'm going to bring in, what I'm going to bring out on the play, on the draw versus all the major archetypes I can think of. Right, right. That's a good idea. Um, Oswald agrees. And uh, I think I have one final uh, news resolution myself, and it's not just for me. Uh, it's for the team. And that is to get one of our teammates either qualified for the Pro Tour or in a top eight of um, of a good of a big tournament in the next year, you know whether that's an SCG Open or a TCG Player 5K or a GP or one of the uh, regional PTQs, one of the more like prestigious events. Let's get one of our teammates in the top eight. Absolutely. So that's that's another goal. Um, Great. So I think those are all very reasonable and very achievable New Year's resolutions. I think that's good stuff. So um, let's move on to spoilers. Come on, get to the spoilers. Spoilers! <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this one. It's Ugin the Spirit Dragon. We've been, you know, speculating for months. What role is Ugin going to play in this set? And it turns out that Ugin is playing the role of an eight colorless mana planeswalker with seven loyalty when it enters the battlefield. Um, Three abilities, plus two, Ugin the Spirit Dragon deals three damage to target creature or player. Lightning Bolt for eight mana. This card sucks. Let's move on. Um, No, okay. So the minus X ability is where things start getting ridiculous. Um, Minus X, Exile. Each permanent with converted mana cost X or less, that's one or more colors. So if you have a way to make someone's lands red, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the minus 10 ability is just you gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put up to seven permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. That happens in three turns. So he's like the anti-Nickel Bolas. Pretty much. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's going right. to be... Oh, yeah, because they fight in the story. Um... They should make, like, a buddy cop movie. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> no, but, uh... <laughs> um... Yeah, the Chief has had enough of Nickel Bolas' loose cannon antics. Yep. 
Maybe. I think there's a card in here I'm a little more excited to put in Mono Green Devotion. Um, but it could fit. I mean, any sort of ramp deck could fit this. I mean, this 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 card is insane. I mean, it's a... This is the cool thing about this card, is that, you know, if there's going to be a control deck uh, that uh, emerges uh, post-introduction uh, post of Fate Reforged in Standard, uh, Ugin's going to be a centerpiece in terms of really sure oh yeah man i mean think about this you drop this thing i mean because it's it's a it's a board wipe and a finisher all in one that's what i love about this card um you drop it down you minus six and you exile basically all the permanents right and then you can just plus two plus two plus two and start pinging them to death i mean it's i mean it's a fantastic finisher um, or, or even I mean, better. Here's here's oh, oh. here's your finisher in a control deck. Get to turn eight, like that. You've already won the game practically at that point. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but this this serves the purpose of like several different cards, which I think is great. I mean, you know, or you even have like I don't know what's a another card you would include. How much does Pearl Lake Ancient cost? Like five, seven, seven. seven? Cost seven. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you don't even need something like that. Maybe even like Prognostic Sphinx. So let's say you've got Prognostic Sphinx, which costs five. You drop this, and then you minus four Ugin, and you take out all the four drops, which gets rid of your Siege Rhino, gets rid of your Pelucranos, gets rid of everything, a lot. It gets rid of a lot of things, but does not get rid of Prognostic Sphinx. Then you swing in for three, and then you start ticking up Ugin, and you've got Ugin plus Prognostic Sphinx just doing six a turn. I think I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I think I mean I think really a ramp deck might be a better home for it, but this feels like a straight control card to me. Uh, probably. I mean, it's just really expensive. But once you actually have once you have this card in play, it it seems hard to lose the game. Which I don't know. I'm trying to think like what he compares to like maybe like Garrick, the big Garrick. Mm-hmm. Um, although that doesn't have nearly the same kind of like board stabilizing you just drop this i guess because standard's been kind of slow lately um, a little bit yeah it's been very grindy and this kind of like <laughs> this would end things if, yeah. if if one of those uh if this is in someone's sideboard then you know this is definitely a a, a game breaker for any kind of control or mirror or, or not mirror mid-range deck or whatever um i, I don't know it's something worth ramping into <laughs> yeah for sure but Genesis Hydra, holla! Ooh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Like, how many times have you cast Genesis Hydra for like twelve and still lost? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so more times than I care to admit to myself. Although or really, to the listeners. Although really, if you if you Genesis Hydra for twelve and hit a Hornet Queen, did you lose then? No, probably not. So. Just more tools for the toolbox. I like it. I mean, I, I I like it in control, and I like it just for the hell of it in Mono Green Devotion. Can we agree on that? It Yeah. Well, uh, let's go on to the next card then. So uh, this is a card you wanted to talk about. I had farts as number two on the list, but uh, you apparently want to talk about Rage Form, so why don't you tell me about this card? Sure. So it's an enchantment featuring the new keyword or mechanic for Fate Reforged. So basically, um, there's I guess there's there's a mechanic that goes through a change, but it's in different forms 
in Cons of Tarkir, Fate Reforged, and then ultimately in Dragons of Tarkir. So the, the basic storyline is uh, Cons is today the current uh, version of reality. Uh, Sarkin travels back in time. I think it's like 1,280 years into the past to when Ugin was killed by... Thousands of years ago. No, it's 1,280 years ago. Ugin was killed by Nicol Bolas. He goes back. Uh, Sarkin goes back. You know, changes fate. Perhaps he reforges it. Um, I guess he saves Ugin or something like that. And then, uh, presumably, Dragons of Tarkir is cons of Tarkir, but in the altered present day. So, you know, he stepped on the butterfly in ancient times, and now, you know, Nazi dinosaurs rule the world. Um, anyway, so the, the, the mechanic in cons was morph, and then the proto version of morph which is in this set, is called Manifest. And basically to manifest a card, you put the card onto the battlefield face down as a 2-2 creature, and you could turn it face up at any time for its mana cost if it's a creature card, even if it's a creature card without more. So the example we have here is Rage Form, which is an enchantment. It costs 2 red-red. And when Rage Form enters the battlefield, it becomes an aura with enchant creature you manifest the top card of your library and attach rage form to it so you basically you cast rage form it enters the battlefield you take the top card of your deck face down it becomes basically like a essentially a morph card with rage form attached to it but you can uh flip it face up if it's a creature card for its mana cost and then if it's also if it happens to be just a creature card with morph you could just pay the morph costs right right Oh, and also uh, Enchanted Creature has Double Strike for Rage Form. It's pretty neat. I'm so, I, I like Manifest as an ability a lot. I'm not sure that Rage Form is the card I want to be casting uh, to use that ability. Although this is an uncommon, so mm -hmm. you know, if we're talking limited, um, this is probably going to be a lot of fun to play with. Oh, totally. It's a 2-2 um, two -two Double Strike for 4. Yeah, and I got no beef with that, you know. Um, and, and you never know, you might flip up some, like, canyon lurkers or something and just totally get them. <laughs> something ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, sky's the limit, I think, from there, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a neat card, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the ability's cool. We're, we're, we'll get to a card in a minute here that's got, that I'm super excited about. Um, so, uh, Soul Flayer. Uh, Soul Flayer is not that card, but I still want to talk about it. <laughs> um, Soul Flayer is a 4-4 for two black and four, it's a creature demon. It's a rare. Um, it has delve, which is very important. Um, and so this is just so cool to me. If a creature card with flying was exiled with Soul Flayer's delve ability, Soul Flayer has flying. Oh, that's great. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance. All you have to do is exile Chromanticore with Soul Flayer's Delve ability, and you have one of the most awesome creatures of all time. No, you do not. Of all time. No, you do not. Time. You just have a Chromanticore. All time. <laughs> no, but you have a Chromanticore that costs black black that you can actually cast. You don't have to stretch your mana base to Kingdom Come to get it to cast. You can just... <laughs> Why? What, you're going to you put Chromanticore just... in your mono black deck? 
you're gonna put it in black green reanimator, bro. You're gonna put it in uh in in a delve deck. You're gonna put it in a deck with commune with the gods. You're gonna put it in a deck with uh with Seder Wayfinder and with uh maybe even Crewfix's insight, but you're gonna put it in a dedicated delve deck. Um and you're gonna exile it with Soul Flare and have an amazing creature, you know, potentially on turn three. Potentially on turn three, bro. Potentially on turn three. I guess if you... Potentially on turn three. Commune with the gods turn two. Mm-hmm. And then just hit everything imaginable. All you have to do is hit one Chromanticore. You don't have to hit everything. You just have to hit a Chromanticore and have Soul Flayer in your hand. And then you are in business. Yeah. It's nah. real. It's real. This is absolutely I, not real. Oh, man. No, it can happen. I, I, I'm serious. I'm serious about this. Um, it's cool. I feel like there's like a black-green dredge deck maybe where you throw a couple of these guys in there. Kind of like the – yeah, it was like a black-green dredge deck that was going around that played like Nemesis Immortals. Mm-hmm. So this is just a much better Nemesis Immortals, kind of, but not really. It's not really though. So it doesn't really, get as big, yeah. You really need to abuse the abilities. That's really what you need is you need to have some some creatures with interesting abilities. So like even even if you hit a Hornet Queen, now you don't always want to delve away a Hornet Queen, right? But if you can turn two, Wait, have no, a four you four never flying want death. To. But if you have a turn three four four flying death touch creature for two mana. It's not so bad. It's 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 something that could be worth delving it away for. Um, but I think Chromanticore is really where you want to be at, or something that's hexproof. But um, but uh, you know, th- this is all in theory right now. We'll see where it goes. But I, Chromanticore plus this is an amazing two card combo. I, Thumbs I, down. I, I love it. I love it. Um, You're not going to see this in a constructed tournament. Sure you will, because you play locally with me. Um, <laughs> now, uh, now, now, a legit real card uh, that we can talk about is Whisperwood Elemental. Um, I'm I'm ridiculously hyped for this, uh, and it makes me want to put uh, Mono Green Devotion back together. <laughs> um, so this is two green and three. Uh, it's a Mythic Rare. It's an Elemental. It's four four. Um, at the beginning of your end step, manifest the top card of your library, right? So you're essentially gaining a 2-2 creature every turn, or every one of your turns. And then sacrifice Whisperwood Elemental. Until end of turn, face up non-token creatures you control gain. When this creature dies, manifest the top card of your library. So... Um, now, you know, to be fair, this doesn't really work well with Perilous Vault or uh, Aether Spouts. Um, but no. uh, with End Hostilities, this works great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple other things. I mean, I, I don't know. This this card's playability is dependent on which board wipes are being played. Crux of um, Fate works great against that. I don't even know what that is. Oh, we've already talked about this one. It's the three black black. You either destroy all dragon creatures That's or all right. non-dragon creatures. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. Um, I think this card's cool. Um, you know, upon second reading and upon thinking of it in context of the current standard, it's not that great, but uh, but I think it's cool. It's, and uh, It's something I've been looking for in the green ramp decks where, like, you get to, like, somehow get utility out of your mana dorks late game yes. if they could yes. somehow die. 
I mean, maybe they just don't. Bl- maybe your opponent just doesn't block them, or you could just you know chump block with them all. You know, sack your Whisperwood Elemental, uh, manifest a whole bunch of cards, and then you know now you maybe you have a face down Whisperwood Elemental, and you get to do it all over again. And you That's have some true. tricks. Uh, yeah. So because then you know if you have this if you have a manifested Whisperwood Elemental, you pay three green green to flip them back up, which you can do at instant speed. Yep. Um, and then you know sack them again and do all kinds Keep of crazy it going. stuff. Yeah, and that's um, it says face up non-token creatures. Oh, so it's face to... up. Oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. So you'd actually need to flip those. Like if you flip over other dorks, you need to flip them before you could actually do that. Never mind, garbage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I do like is the fact that you can, um, you know, you, the mono green ramp decks. You were pretty much running, you know. 36 creatures and lands you yeah know? so so it's not like you're gonna have a lack of targets um that you'll be able to flip over and gain value from um or have that surprise factor where you can flip the card over you know at any time so you know having a bunch of two twos on the battlefield really gives you that i don't know what the heck i'm playing against feeling um if you're the opponent and then I can flt over a uh, Pelucranos um, to block real quick or, you know, something like that. Um, so now I don't love this card. Actually, you know what? I'm going to skip that card altogether. No! We're gonna, Why we not? Have another, we have another one that talks about that ability. So um, it's a new card. But I do not like Outpost Siege. At Are all. you serious? It's, good. it's not good. It's fantastic. Okay, all right, we can talk about it. Talk about it. I'm Tell just... me about it. Why is it fantastic? Tell me. I mean, I just oversold it because I wanted to talk about it more. Than all right, then tell me. All right, so Outpost Siege. It's uh, three and a red for an enchantment, and this is part of a cycle. I think each color gets one. Um, so as Outpost Siege enters the battlefield, you choose cons or dragons. Uh, if you choose cons, then this enchantment has... At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library until end of turn. You may play that card. And then if you choose dragons, whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, Outpost Siege deals one damage to target creature or player. What's not to love? That costs four mana to mm-hmm. do nothing. That's not true. Okay. So, uh, two, so, so three and a red. That's four, right? Mm-hmm. How much does Chandra cost? Pyromaster. How much? Uh, four? All right, so now you get her zero ability every single turn in a harder-to-kill uh, type. Like, I'd can't rather be attacked. Have, but yeah, but I'd rather have the Planeswalker, though. Yeah, but you can choose. You can either choose. Like, let's say you have a whole bunch of tokens out. Maybe you have some weird token strategy, and you don't need to draw any more gas. You just need to punch through that last bit of damage, right? Maybe after Chandra rotates. No! Because think about, like, in, like in Jeskai, uh, Jeskai tokens, right? Uh-huh. You've got all your tokens out. You, yep. you drop this. You get to, you know, it triggers all the prowess and all other good stuff. Mm-hmm. And you could choose dragons. And if you, let's say you have like 12 like tokens or whatever. And it's just this giant board stall and they're at like eight life. And you can just swing in. And they die. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But let's say it's an empty battlefield and you're both top decking. And you just need to draw some gas. You just drop this, choose cons, and now you got your own personal howling mine. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't like it at all. I don't think it's that good. Not at all? No, not at all. It's it's the part of Chandra that's, like, the best, that, you know, exile the card advantage part that can't be attacked by creatures. And if that's not what you want, 
it can end the game on the spot. I think it's almost as powerful as her. It's not it's not as pow- as powerful, but it's almost. Well, this the, the dragon's part just says when a creature you control leaves the battlefield. Yeah. So let's say they try to they can't aether spouts your your tokens. Okay, so it, it is not it is not dies. So that's that's that is important. Okay, yeah. okay. So like, because that because that's one of the major things that I really have hated about all these board wipes that exile things. Yeah, so you don't get your dies triggered. Let's say you're playing Jeskai tokens and you have eight tokens out and they're at eight life. It doesn't matter what blockers they have, doesn't matter what board position they have, doesn't matter if they have a sweeper, doesn't matter if they have Aether Sprouts. You you have this card in hand, they die that turn unless they can gain life. And okay, so so it's obviously awesome in a board stall, in an aggressive deck. But let's say the board's clear. Let's say you're top to this is perfect too. Because all you'd want right. is a Chandra to start zeroing. This I, I like this card. I think all it's right. actually a lot right. better than, than you're giving it credit for. Yeah, I, I agree. It is. It's a little better than I'm giving it credit. A little. It's a lot. This is the best card in Fate Reforged, hands down. <laughs> I don't know, dude. We haven't gotten to Colgon the Storm's Fury. Um well, now we have. Yes, we have, because I have forced the issue. Um Colagon the Storm's Fury is a 4-5 flying legendary dragon creature. It is only a rare. It is 3 black red. And it says, whenever a dragon you control attacks, creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. And then it has another one of our new keyword abilities, Dash. It has dash, this is the Mardu keyword ability, dash three black red. So you may cast this spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste, and it's returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, like the old Viashino creatures. Um, and uh, I, I think this is pretty good. Um I don't know how many – I haven't seen any low-cost dragons yet, you know, mm-hmm. or dragon tokens, which would be ridiculous with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm almost certain seeing this card that there will not be any dragon, like baby dragon Don't, don't you have a bunch of Crucible of Fates? Or no, what was it called? The thing that gives yeah. dragons plus three plus three? Yep. Yeah, I've got about – I think i got about 12 or 16 of oh, them. Oh, my God. Um – I've got another card in my cart right now, but we'll get to that in a minute. Now, now there is some good news for you. I was reading the article talking about, I think it was Colagon on the uh, the, the mothership, and it actually said this set has the highest density of dragon cards per pack of any set to date. So, if ever <laughs> that card was going to have any value, it would be this standard season. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, this guy is part of a cycle as well. So each Allied color pair is going to get a legendary dragon. Uh, nice. So I guess each one might be part of a clan because this one has like the watermark. It has the Mardu watermark it in it, it plus does. dragon wings. So it's like a, it's got its own weird, funky, altered watermark. So I guess each oh, clan. Oh wow! I didn't notice that. Wow, yeah. Each clan huh. must must get its own dragon or something like that. That's kind of cool. That is cool. That's very cool. I don't know if this is playable. I think it is. Um, you know, I mean, a, a four five flying haste for five. It's uh, not good. Well, you know, actually, this is a five five flying haste because it pumps itself. Mm, okay. So that's not too bad. Um, and that's if you 
if you cast it for the dash cost. Um, you know, if you have one other dragon on the field, this is pretty good. Like, this goes from good to really good, and we'll see. You know, context is key in terms of evaluating this card, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess there, there's probably going to be a dragon deck. They wouldn't make a set with a bajillion dragons in it without there being, like, a constructed dragon deck. But I was, like, trying to think about this with, like, I'm like, oh, this would be good with, like, you know, an aggro, like, kind of like a rush deck, you know, with a bunch of, like, one, two, and three drops or whatever, or tokens even. Because um, I was like, oh, you get this guy out, and he swings, he punches your whole team. And I'm like, well... Yeah, if you have like two dragons, then it's almost a trumpet blast. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not for five mana. That's a great effect. And Perforos, you drop Perforos, and he's got more synergy with like a bunch of, a bunch of guys because you know they 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 ping when they come in, and then you just pay three, and they all get plus one plus zero, and that's a repeatable right. effect. So that's why that's why like at first I was like yes, then then I thought about it, and I'm like nah, this isn't seeing play. Right, but we'll see. Again, you know, we'll see what kind of what kind of decks come out, uh, what kind of cards we see when this. Uh, oh, that's boring though. Saying we'll see is boring. I think it's really good. I already said that. I like I to haphazardly really make good. definitive statements. I say no. This won't see right. constructed play. Period. Stop. I say yes. All right. Um. So let's move on to one that I'm going to say yes about. Uh, temporal trespass. Temporal trespass costs three blue and eight. It's a oh, sorcery. so I get to scroll it's... up. Yes. Whoa. It's a mythic rare, and it has Delve. Um, take an extra turn after this one, Exile, Temporal, Trespass. So, massively costed, but it is a time walk. And uh, so, you know, potentially it could cost three blue um, to time walk. I think it's good. I don't know. You know, I did say yes at first, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, there has to be a control deck that um, is really filling its graveyard up to make this playable. Um, and you're going to run out of cards. <laughs> maybe Soltai? Soltai Delve, maybe? Mm, I'd rather just have a Treasure Cruise, to be honest. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah, the type of deck that wants like a bunch of these cards... Is like kind of like a control deck, but then at the point where they're like they're taking over the game, they don't have like a huge board presence, so they don't really need like an extra turn. Right. Yeah. Uh, they I just want more right. cards. Like they just want like you know a win condition plus a counter spell, which is what dig through time will get you. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. Uh, playable in commander. Agreed. Sure. Except for at common ground games. <laughs> um, I mean, so just on paper. In an ideal world, somehow getting to pay blue, 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 take an extra turn, is breakable. Right. So I'll leave it at that. Right. But you know what? Uh, what was the one? Temporal Mastery? Wasn't that the one that was uh, the Miracle one? That didn't oh, see yeah, you're right. That's all absolutely no standard play, and that yeah. should have seen standard play. So it's this probably isn't any good. Um so uh, you have you so you honestly have not read Soulfire Grandmaster yet. I haven't yet? seen any okay. of the cards up here. Steven, will you read Soulfire Grandmaster for me, please? All right, uh, hold on a sec. All right, Soulfire Grandmaster, one in a white. Uh, it's got pretty good art. Like yes, what's going does. on there? It's like uh, like a watercolor kind of abstract. Anyway, uh, it's a creature, human monk. It's got lifelink. Uh, okay, it says instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. So, 
that's interesting. I guess like so you bolt them and it turns into a lightning helix. Is that like how that works? Yeah, that's exactly how that works. And uh, if you you counterspell something, you gain. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I actually I have no idea. Uh, I, I don't know what that means. That it instant or sorcery. I guess if that whatever means whenever a instant or sorcery spell you deals control damage, days, yeah. dam- deals damage, you gain that much life. Okay, cool. On a two-two creature with life link. So if I lightning helix with this, do I gain six life? Yes, you do. Huh. Yes, you do. So it's now, got double um, lifelink. Oh, hey, guess what? There's more text. You know what? You're right. Um, so it's uh, got two colorless, and then is it hybrid? Is it hybrid? So you either pay two blue-blue, two red-red, or two blue-red. And uh, the next time you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand this turn, put that card into your hand instead of into your graveyard as it resolves. And this is also a 2-2. It's a 2-2 for one and a white. And it's a mythic. So usually, like, these really low-cost mythics are pretty good. Uh, That seems pretty crazy. Is this blowing your mind right now? Uh, It seems weird for a white creature to have this ability. I guess but it is a blue or red ability. Yeah, it's it's the con leader for... uh, Is is it? It's not legendary. And it's just Soulfire Grandmaster. That neither was the other one, right? No, the other one was legendary. Was it? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, it was. You're right. You're right. This okay. is just like some like awesome person that's going to take over for whoever the leader of the Jeskai is. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a mutiny. If I'm Jeskai, I'm mutinying, and I'm going to make this the con. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> How insane is this card? Now, and yeah, it seems really good. It seems like um, – now, actually, in standard, I don't know. So can I tell you what card I have in my cart right now? What's that? Right now, in my cart, I have 16 copies of Blasphemous Act in my cart. And I'm wondering if I should act on this, oh my uh, God. On this hunch. <laughs> no, but Kai, have, that's got to cool. I have 16 copies of Blasphemous Act in my cart currently. I think I should act on it. I don't think, I think you I should. should. I think I should act. No, I mean, think about it. Like, think about any, it. Anything, anything. Then, like, so, like, Dude. so, wait, uh, so if like you have earthquake or whatever, is that just yeah, like? But, yeah, but you're not. You're never gonna cast earthquake where X is equals to thirteen. True, but I'm saying, is that how that works? Yeah. So if you earthquake yeah. and there's like seven guys on you, earthquake for yeah. three, you gain like twenty. Each one of them da- takes three damage, so you gain life each time. Well, how much is this selling for? Um. See, I, twenty bucks. Oof. That's cheap. No, it is not. That is cheap. This card is amazing. It has to be amazing and standard. Although I guess it's like, going to be amazing in modern. I mean, th- this goes right in modern burn. This, like if okay. it doesn't well, go. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. It goes right in modern burn, dude. It does not. It's a sideboard card against modern burn. It is a sideboard card against them, but uh, or against the mirror. Um, but this goes. I mean, this can get played against Delve or a. a Delve? What am I saying? Delver? I mean... <sighs> what I'm thinking of, like, this would be a good, like, control card. Like, it just blue-white. Because think about it. Like, once you have this out plus a counterspell and you, their board's, like, cleared, like, what are they going to do? I guess you could. Yeah, I mean, I guess you Because you just counter just it. Yeah, you, you activate, counter whatever they top deck, and they could just, like, they, they, they're locked out. I could see that for sure. No, I think, I think this card goes in modern burn. I almost feel like... Uh, 
<laughs> I almost I mean, that's because I'm crazy. I feel like I want this in Legacy Burn. All right. Like, All right. This is an awesome <laughs> card, man. This is such a good card. Not like, it's an amazing card, but I'm just like I'm trying to see where I want this card, and I feel like it's a control, like a sideboard control card. This makes me want to do red, white, burn in Legacy and run this, and like you said, um, what's the lightning helix? Um, I mean, just having just having this with Bolt. Once you get to five mana, you're just like Bolt, get my Bolt back, and you're gaining three life. I mean. This is just nuts. It's a Such great, a... it's an amazing late game. Okay, so yeah, okay. So actually when you break it down like that, this is, this is really cool. Because like, it's not bad turn two. No, nope, it's, it's great two, turn two. two. For two. It's actually kind of insane that they printed all this stuff on a two, two for two. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's almost voice of, re- I mean, it's like voice of resurgence-esque. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, like I said, 20 bucks feels, it feels fair. But it also feels like that's the floor. I don't. I feel like this card is going to at least double in price. Maybe. Um, maybe before the pre-release. Because hmm, I don't know if it's good in the mid game. It's it's good in the mid game if you have a bunch of burn cards. If so that you're ache. so the first part. Uh, oh my god, this thing has lifelink. <laughs> it has lifelink itself. Yes. Yes, it does. That's yes. stupid. Okay, yes. it's already a two-two for two with lifelink. Yes. So that's 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 great on turn two. Yes. And, then, and think about it, dude. Think about it. You play this alongside Eidolon, and you don't care if you're triggering your own Eidolon because you're negating it. Hmm. You're like, I can just cast my spells now. I gain all the life back. Like you're netting, you're netting life. With Eidolon and this out. It is amazing. It's pretty interesting. Because, yeah, it's great. It's great in the early game. And it's good in the mid-game if you have burn spells. So you can take advantage mm-hmm. of the second ability. Mm-hmm. And then in the late game, it's still great. So it's a two-drop that's still great in the late game. So, I mean, that's... Yeah. Hmm. So it's yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think it's insane. I think it's more than a little insane. Mm, I think it's I think it's just insane. Or a little insane. It's really good. This is definitely playable. This is no Colagon the Storm's Fury. <laughs> I will say that much. Right on. And, um, and seriously, this should be the leader of the Jess guy. Although I guess they could make that rare. They could yeah, make this true. rare. True, true. Oh that oh the leaders are all rares. Yeah. That makes sense. Wait, okay, are they okay. or not? No, I th- I think the first one we saw is it's just rare, a- yeah. So okay, okay, so then this makes a lot of sense. Which is weird because all the clan leaders in cons were mythics. Okay, well, anyway, I I vote that we impeach whoever the president of the Jeskai is and elect Soulfire Grandmaster. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Um, so good. Let's end this on something we can agree on. Well, actually, let's not. Uh, so. Uh, that's all we've got for Magic Talk. Now, um, I just kind of want to quickly go over our uh, top ten lists of the year. Uh, me and Steven are both big fans of music. We both put together our top albums of the year, and um, I guess I'll go over mine first. Number ten, uh, in this number ten is always the hardest one because it's the one where like there's so many things that could like make the list. Um, and I chose uh, the album Lose 
by the band Symbols Eat Guitars. Um, and I'm not going to talk about this too long, but this album to me sounds like the Bright Eyes album that would invariably be on my best of lists at the end of the year if Bright Eyes still made good music. Um, number nine on my list is ASAP Ferg, Ferg Forever. This is a mixtape that he put out just recently, which may weigh my decision to put it in the top ten a little bit, but uh, ultimately... There are two tracks on this album, uh, Real Thing and Dope Walk. They're two of the best tracks I've heard all year. Um, so the year ended with a bang in terms of hip-hop albums, and uh, this was a free one. So there's no excuse for you to not just go right now and download it, because it is totally free. Um, number eight is um, the album Here and Nowhere Else by Cloud Nothings. Um this is admittedly an album that I just downloaded last week uh, because I was like, oh, I got to make my best of list. Oh, crap. I'm meaning to listen to this for a while. I listened to it and I was like, well, I can't really imagine 10 albums that would be better than this. So it made the list. Um, number seven on my list is Run the Jewels 2 by Run the Jewels. And... Um, I haven't listened to this one as much as I listened to the first Run the Jewels album, but I felt like this is almost a pick I put on the list because I excluded them from my list last year and felt like it was the most criminal thing that I've done. Number six is the album World Peace is None of Your Business by Morrissey. Um despite this album getting like this album got like a, a 5.5 or something on pitchfork this year and the stupid okay so the reason why this album got such a low rating was the reviewer basically was like man morrissey is like so grim that was essentially their argument about this album getting such a low rating garbage oh yeah well then if you did, why are you listening to morrissey if you don't want bleak futures um in your music and and this album i i tried to i tried to just listen to this album a little and i just wound up this every time i would just kind of go ah, i guess i'll listen to this again and give it a shot I, i'm at the very end of it like rocking out like it's just Musically, it's such a strong album. Lyrically, it is one of the bleakest albums he's ever made. Um, number five is the album Dist and Dismissed by Tony Molina. Woo. Um, this is an awesome album. This is a 12-minute long album. Um, if you loved Pinkerton, yeah. <laughs> then you absolutely need to hear this album. Um, this album takes, like, the... Uh, like, it takes the self-indulgence of Pinkerton and compacts it into 12 minutes. It's one of the most fantastic albums I've heard in a long time. Like, it, like the it's songs like the change. They just, like, distilled it and, like, drained it down. <laughs> and yes. it's like they put in a little, like, thimble full of a vial of, of <laughs> yeah. Weezer from, like, Blue Album and, 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 and Pinkerton. Yeah, no, it really is. It's a fantastic album. Must listen. It's a great one. Um, number four would be Sunbathing Animal by Parquet Courts. Um, this album, to me, just kind of gives me everything I loved about the heydays of, like, Pavement and Sonic Youth and just kind of, 
I don't know. I think this is such a – You ever listen first... to the television? No. Do yourself a favor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I definitely will have to. Now, the thing is, the album before this, I listened to it, and I'm like, okay, this is okay, but I really wish it was produced better. It just kind of sounds like they recorded it in a garage. This album is, like, everything I liked about that with much better-sounding production, and it's just a brilliant album. Um, number three on my list is Divide and Exit by Sleaford Mods, um, which I'm sure everyone's going, oh, of course Joe put something I never heard of in his top three, but I don't care. This isn't your top three. This is my top three. Joey can put Spoon in his top ten, and I'm not saying they don't deserve to be there, but this is my top ten. And Sleaford Mod's Divide and Exit is one of the greatest albums of the year. It's just this very raw punk rock, but it's almost like rap. It's like such a strange album to pin down stylistically, and it's just very crass and vulgar and British, which is very important in terms of like my enjoyment of something. Um, I'm sad I didn't like actually listen to that album all the way through. Oh, really? Because I just kept starting. I'm like, oh, he's just ranting. I can't do it. But then eventually, like, um, I forget what song. It's like number two on the album. I'm like, this is actually yeah. really good. I listened to it Tied all the way through. Tied up in knots. Tied up in knots. Yeah, it was actually really good. Yeah. Oh, man. It is such a great album. Number two on my list is Singles by Future Islands, which if anyone who knows me – uh, would think that I would put something that's associated with Dan Deacon or Wham City in my top 10 albums of the year. You might think I hit my head too hard. But this album, like, it feels to me like the further this band moves away from, like, the idiot bands they're associated with from Baltimore, the better they get. And, like, they really had a breakout year in terms of, like, you know, getting that national exposure from the Letterman show and um, and just, you know, and, and just blowing up. They just blew up as a band. Um, Seasons was one of the top songs of the year. In fact, I think was named as the top track of the year on Pitchfork, right? My number one album of the year is Aphex Twins' first album in 13 years, Cyro. Um, I couldn't be happier to see this album come out. And it's just amazing to me, like, how 13 years ago he puts out the album Drugs, and he gets completely slammed for not doing anything new. And then 13 years later, everyone realizes that all they want him to do is be Aphex Twin. And he goes, hey, guess what? I'm still Aphex Twin. And and the, the album, it's just so great how, like, the most unique thing he could do would be stay the same. And, and you know, I was reading some stuff um uh, some interview questions that were asked of him. He recorded this entire album uh, with analog uh, devices. Did you know that? No. No, he did. He did not program. He programmed this album in synths and stuff. Like he used some computer programs. I think he said for like sequencing, but um, but he pretty much did this entire album uh, with like analog devices with hardware. Hmm. Yeah. Which is just amazing. The guy's a, a bloody genius. and um, Bloody. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, so that, that's my top ten. Uh, my honorable mentions that just couldn't make my list. That Spoon album is on there, yeah, by the way. Um, Angela Olsen, Burn Your Fire for No Witness. Uh, Ice Age, Plowing into the Fields of Love, which was in my top ten for a minute. 
they tried something new, and as much as I loved their last album, I still love this one, but I feel like there's some growing pains going between the sound they were they had and the sound they're going for. Um, Total Control, Typical System, great album. Present Tense by Wild Beasts. Um, NVM by Taco Cat. Um, you will never hear a ballad about menstruation mm. as amazing as Crimson Wave. Um, uh, Helms Elise, Sleepwalking Sailors, uh, Pattern is Movement's self-titled record, and uh, The Next Four Years by United Nations. Um, those are the best albums that objectively came out in 2014. Now, um, let me hear how many of them you got right. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to run through this because uh, yes. we've done enough self-aggrandizing for, for one year. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, one year even, and thankfully it's almost over. Uh, so number 10 for me is incredibly embarrassing, but uh, it's Modern Baseball. Uh, it's the artist. Uh, album is oh. You're Gonna Miss It All. <laughs> Why is that embarrassing? They're a pop punk group. I heard they're really good. They're emo. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Not that embarrassing. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like all the songs are about like uh, – Lots of just like high school and like uh, college type stuff, and I'm like, I turned 30 this year. What am I doing? But I was looking at um, it's it's totally the guilty pleasure for me because like uh, Spotify doesn't give you the actual stats; they just tell you like generally like your top 10 tracks or top played albums, and like yeah, two of their songs are on my top 10 tracks of like what I listened huh. this year, which is crazy. Um, I'm gonna just move on. Uh, hopefully, people won't even remember that I put that on my list. Okay, so uh, number nine was Loan. Um, the album Reality Testing. So Lone was uh, – their album Galaxy Garden was probably my favorite album of 2012, I want to say. Yeah. And this was – That is the year Kendrick came out though. Yeah. It, oh, it was, I don't know if it was – it might have been Kendrick. I can't remember. They were one and two though. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I enjoyed the Lone album more. Uh, anyway, number eight, uh, St. Vincent. Uh, she puts out a competent album. It's going to be in my top ten, and this one's one of her best, so – uh, the self-titled album. Uh, number seven is Dorian Concept, uh, Joined Ends. It's uh, it's kind of like Jersey Club, kind of. It's it's very similar to Lone, but a little like more Apex Twenty, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah. Who's the artist? What's that? Dorian Who's Concept. So I'm doing the artist in the album name. Okay. Okay. So Dorian Concept. I don't think they've put out an album before. I think this is like their first album. Okay. Um, Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, next album is Mr. Twin Sister, although I think they were mm-hmm. Twin Sister before, the self-titled album of Mr. Twin Sister. Yeah, I think uh, In the House of Yes is, like, probably my, one of my favorite songs of the year. So um, they had three other good songs and, like, two okay songs, and that just averaged out to awesome. Uh, <laughs> number five, Symbols E Guitars, Lose, Fantastic. Word. Yeah, uh, it really is. Number four, Todd Tierje. It's album time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love like uh, library, old library music that like um, uh, MF Doom and a bunch of other people have sampled. And it's just like basically like royalty free music that they made in the 70s that like other TV shows could like use as themes, like just mm-hmm. royalty free. So it's just like crazy, like really of uh, uh, like evocative, like very uh, like out there music. Uh, but like very funky and uh, it's album time seems like a modern day incarnation of that and some other really good stuff. I already like Todd Tierney a lot, so uh, it didn't take much uh, additional to put it in there. Ariel Pink is my number three, uh, the album Pom Pom. Um, 
So my number one played artist this year and probably any other year is Frank Zappa. And so this was his most Zappa-like album, or it reminds me the most of that. Um, yeah, it's just all over the place. I, I really like Ariel Pink, and this one was um, probably my favorite album of his yet. Uh, Can't get into him, but I know a lot of people love him. Yeah, that's how, that's how Zappa is with a lot of people. <laughs> I love Zappa, though. Oh, okay. I mean, but Zappa's a Baltimore guy, so you oh, got to give it up for him. Uh, number two is Chad Van Gallen, and uh, the album is Shrink Dust. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my favorite track of the year, was his uh, track called Monster. It's just really crazy folk, but trippy, semi-electronic music, and I just enjoyed the greatest number of tracks from that. And it was just really unique. It's kind of similar to, oh boy, I can't remember the guy's name. It's Japanese. It's like Shugi. Uh, but it's this guy, and like he's he can play a bunch of different instruments, and he may, he uses like toys and a bunch of other stuff in uh, all his different tracks, like including like homemade instruments. But it's like really fast music. It's like really fast folk, but like pop music. Um, his really his I guess his biggest hit would be Parachute, which is not. He's he's not he's not very big at all, um, but uh, this is like a much slower version of that. And in fact, um, Chad Van Gallen like makes his own instruments as well. <laughs> this is just like a more spaced out um, kind of version of that. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, and number one, just chalk uh, on the jewels. Really? Oh yeah. That's, huh. that's probably the album I listen to the most. Uh, no, see, see, I'm, I'm actually just shocked because. You got to number one, and you still haven't mentioned Flying Lotus. He's in the honorable mentions. Wow. Wow. You were, like, all over that, like, number one. You are like, this is album of the year, album of the year, album of the year. And I, I almost – I didn't include it in my honorable mentions because I figured it would be in your top ten. Nah. <laughs> wow. I'm surprised. That's a shocking, shocking well, choice. Well, see, I haven't actually finalized my list yet. And sure, I think sure. I wanted Mr. Twin Sister. I think I enjoyed that album. All this is just like something I was rearranging, like as we were doing the show. So right, right. Uh, that was the that was Flying Lotus and Ava Luna um, got cut for um, Mr. Twin Sister and Lone. Okay, okay, I can see that. Uh, but I'm not sure. Okay, honorable mentions: Herzog, Boys, um, A Sunny Day in Glasgow. Uh, they they did see when absent. They're just shoegaze music that was done really well. Uh, CEO, uh, Wonderland. Yep, good album. Uh, Isaiah Rashad, uh, the was it Sylvia demo. Um, Vince Staples. You said like this is a like late in the year, really good for for hip hop. This is one I only heard recently, but Vince Staples, Hell Can Wait, is fantastic. Yeah. You should listen to that definitely. Isn't that the one that's like an EP or whatever? Uh, I. Th- it might be. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's got the the the, the big track on it was Blue Suede. I'll have to hear it. I'll have to listen to it. Um, and that's pretty much it. And Flying Lotus, you're dead, obviously. If it's that, that'd be like number eleven honorary. So. So, uh, you know, that is essentially our year. We're looking forward to 2015 and to uh, hopefully sticking to our uh, New Year's resolutions and, um, you know, hopefully getting to hear a lot of good new music. Um, so, you know, that's it. That's it. Let's just let's not let's not keep you on here any longer. Um, that's all we've got for this week and this year. Uh, until next year, we are UMTG Taps. Stop bitching. Start brewing. Top ten lists. <laughs> Never start too early.
It's true. Control N. I just made top 10 albums of 2015. Blank slate. Alcohol toss, molotovs, throwing down the mic. Now they get caught up in a hype for being so tight. Sag with your jeans was hella me, mug right strike. Enjoy thinking combined. Libro Jenkins outlined the highest price. Hip hop, you rep vaguely. I'm consistent, fresh, daily. I maintained a quiet life during open mics. Expectations is too high. Dreams holding me. I lost friends and loved ones. Couldn't cope with it. Pursue music with a Yo MTG Taps is available every bloody Friday forever on legitmtg.com, iwantmymtg.com, mtgcast.com, and iTunes. Email us, yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr, yomtgtaps.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter, at yomtgtaps. Follow me on Twitter at OMGWTFBHJFTW. Follow Steven on Twitter at M00NPI. Follow Joey on Twitter at Affinity for Blue. Featuring music by You'll Never Know and Logic Marsalis. Available at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>